I'm Kristen, and this is the Explorer in You podcast. Now, what I've discovered after visiting five continents and some amazing places is that the greatest thing standing in your way of seeing the world is what you believe is possible. I believe that travel is for everyone on any budget, and it doesn't have to be overwhelming. So this podcast is all about unlocking the Explorer in you. You'll hear stories from people who will inspire you to set big travel goals and show you how to achieve them. Let's explore. Hey friends, welcome back to the Explorer in You podcast. So today's episode is all about how do you pick up your life and start a completely new one in a different country? And that's exactly what my guest today did. Michelle Alexander is originally from the Bay Area, but she has lived in Australia for the last 10 years and she's really built a community. She's gotten married. She recently became a citizen and she's really established a life there. So I thought she would be the perfect person to ask for tips about how do you start a new life abroad? Now, I met Michelle about 10 years ago before she left the country. And I remember just how warm and open she was. We connected over our love of reading. And I can see how her just really open and curious spirit have helped her to be open to making a new life in a different country. So she shares her tips about the mindset and the perspective and tools that you need to live life in a different country. What it's like to celebrate Christmas in summer and how important it is to find a good immigration or migration agent, and how living abroad has redefined her definition of home. Now, she mentions this in the interview. Apparently, Australia has quite loud birds, and you'll hear them in the interview. And I enjoyed hearing them in our conversation. It gave me more of a taste of Australia. And we wrap up with Michelle's number one place to visit in Australia. So this is a fun conversation and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for being on the show. Hi, Kristen. So great to be invited. Such an honor. Thank you. So I wanted to talk with you because you are one of the few people I know who has kind of picked up their life from one area on the globe and moved somewhere completely different. And I was just so curious about what that experience is like, how you had the courage, because to me, that seems very courageous to just move somewhere else and start a new life, basically. So I thought that you'd be a great person to chat with. Can you tell me a little bit about your story? Sure. A little bit about me. Um, I was born in Santa Clara. I was a surprise birth because my mom didn't know she was having twins. So five minutes after my sister Darlene was born, <laughs> the doctor heard a heartbeat and that was me. I'm always fashionably late, even to this oh day. My God. <laughs> I did not I'll, know that. Yes. So I'll be late to my own funeral. And, <laughs> and, and that's how I entered the world. I was very happy as a kid and very happy-go-lucky, didn't stress about anything. And we grew up in San Jose, and then in third grade, we moved to Newark, which is in the East Bay of San Francisco area. And then my sister and I decided to go down to UC Irvine for university. 
And what I liked about growing up in California is the diversity. My mom would, and my dad, my real dad, my birth dad, would take us to lots of, you know, cultural festivals. They introduced us to the library. We used to love maxing out our library cards. I think there's a connection to shopping there. But anyway, we would take <laughs> out all these books and come home and we'd get in trouble because we'd be reading books on everything. Like we love to consume information. So yes, we love stories, but we love nonfiction. So yeah, we had a we had a really colorful childhood. We were taken to museums all the time, exhibitions. My mom worked full-time as a registered nurse at Good Samaritan Hospital, which she still works at. I ended up working with her there for a while. And we traveled a lot. We went to Lake Tahoe, Yosemite. We went to the snow. We went to the beach. We went to the desert. You name it. And uh, we didn't have a lot of money. Like we were probably like, I don't know, in the middle somewhere. But we were always given opportunities to learn and explore different places. And I love that my mom introduced us to that early on in life. So I love that diversity. And then the school we went to, like our elementary school and then our high school, we didn't have a lot of cliques. We were very lucky. And I found that, you know, even at Newark Memorial High School, where I graduated, I went there for four years, my sister and I were able to, you know, float in and out of different groups and make lots of friends. And it was just a really safe, secure, and friendly place. And everyone was really into their studies, especially us. And so I think just having such a positive mindset, getting into university, that helped me when I went to UC Irvine, you know, living far away from home for the first time, we had really strict parents. So as you can imagine, we just wanted to party. We wanted to rebel. So <laughs> we joined a sorority. And I remember just doing all those things you see in the movies, you know, hotel parties, beach hotels. I went and got a tongue piercing with tattoos. Oh, <laughs> you name it, we did it. But I always knew when to get to class. So that was a good thing. We ended up going back up the coast uh, and I finished my university studies and originally I wanted to become a doctor but then I changed my mind and I wanted to work in finance for some reason or other I don't know why then I got a my first bachelor's in business and then decided no I want to go back to medical <laughs> but my mom was supporting me at the time she's like no way you get your first bachelor's then you can do whatever you want I was like fair enough so I graduated um, on my fourth year and then decided to apply to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. So I went there and took some science classes so I could become a doctor. That was the plan. I wanted to become a dermatologist. But then I also still was very young and a little still immature and I loved to party. So we, I made lots of friends and enjoyed myself a little too much. Then decided I would take nursing classes and then applied to a school back up north in Oakland and San Francisco called Samuel Merritt. They were offering something that no one else was offering at the time. It's the largest private nursing school. They offered a 12-month accelerated bachelor's. And me being very impatient, I just wanted to get the skills I needed to work with patients. I really wanted to work in hospitals like my mom and uh, be able to apply what I learned straight away. I just wanted to get in there and work. So I got into this program and worked my but often really enjoyed it. I loved it. And I worked at the same hospital that my mom worked at. We had a great time, you know, kind of bumping into each other in the hallways. And I learned what it was like to work in healthcare. And, but then I met my ex <laughs> and that's how I ended up, you know, moving abroad and my, the whirlwind that happened after that.
Can you tell me about your journey to becoming an expat? Sure. So it all started when I met an ex of mine <laughs> in San Francisco, where I'm from. And he is originally from Ireland. And with circumstances surrounding his visa, he wasn't able to stay in San Francisco. So he had to go back to Ireland. And after some long distance uh, in our relationship, I decided, right, I'm just going to go and join him in Ireland and start a new adventure. Uh, what started out as just a temporary solution to spend you know, time in the same geographic location, we decided we would go for working holiday just one year in Australia. And this is a common theme amongst a lot of us expats here in Australia. One year turns into forever, <laughs> especially <laughs> in my case. And it, it honestly was just a spur of the moment decision. And it arrived, we arrived to that decision because his little brother had worked and lived in Brisbane, Australia and loved it. And just from that one experience, we decided, okay, we're going to go. Even though we knew nothing about Australia, for myself, I thought it was similar to something like San Diego with the beaches and everything. I was very wrong, but uh, that's how it started. That's how we decided to move to Australia. Wow. So it sounded like not necessarily on a whim, but very spontaneous. Yes. Decision. Yes. Yeah. Which is surprising considering it's such a heavy and big decision. <laughs> Did you have any like reservations about it? Any nervousness? Or were you just ready to go? Well, I think I was more nervous to join my ex in Ireland. And I think with the intention of joining him and living with him somewhere, we, we did have a holiday. We went to France, we went to Italy, we went to Spain. We took some weeks and explored and talked about and dreamt about where we would live and work. And at that time we were freely to we were able to choose. We had no babies, no extra commitments. I had just gone back to school to get a second bachelor's in nursing. And with that degree in nursing from the States, it, it, it was a good decision to kind of pick up and go and be able to, I suppose, have an adventure. So yes, I mean, we had our normal reservations. We were scared that we would miss our friends and family and that we would struggle. But having a very you know short commitment of one year as a working holiday initially didn't seem too scary. And then when you arrived in Australia, is it what you expected or they're different? Was it completely unexpected? Well, it was really hot and humid and I was swearing to myself thinking, what have we done? <laughs> I was just so used to the dry heat in California and, and it's just so muggy and humid. And sure, I've been to Hawaii and Mexico where, you know, it's humid and Vietnam, but this, this was different. Like, it was just so heavy. And uh, we, had we had landed in the end of March, 2011. And if anyone's from Australia, they would remember in Brisbane, the great flood had just happened in January. So uh, as much as I expected, you know, really beautiful scenery, which we did see, uh, we also saw a lot of damage. Um, you know, this, this never really happens. And uh, there was some major, major flooding. Lots of businesses, buildings, homes had been damaged and completely destroyed. And uh, to be landed into a, a place like that was, you know, really eventful. Um, and so the weather was the first maybe difference that we had noticed. And then uh, 
the streets itself where they weren't damaged by floods were really clean and beautiful and really new looking, which was surprising to us coming from a place where, you know, you could walk down one street in San Francisco and then three blocks down, you're, you know, in a very graffitied and dirty and, you know, you see a lot of homeless people on the streets. You don't see a lot of that here in Brisbane. And Brisbane is on the, so how far are you from the ocean? We are about 50 minutes drive to the ocean, maybe shorter actually, but I think you would probably heard of the Sunshine Coast and the Gold Coast. Yes, and that's, the Gold Coast is one hour driving south on the highway uh, from Brisbane, and then the Sunshine Coast is about an hour, 20 hour to two hours north of Brisbane. Okay, but it sounds like it's still pretty humid as far inland as you are. Yes. So what are some of the challenges to being an expat, would you say, and how have you overcome them? Oh, there are so many. <laughs> Christine, I couldn't even begin. Top three, maybe. <laughs> the top three, maybe learning the new system of a whole new country. Uh, you would assume that, you know, because we all speak English, it's really easy to understand a lot of things, you know, coming to, you know, a country that also speaks English, but it's so different because a lot of it is British English. So a lot of the, the, the phrases and the terminology is you, I always Googled everything. I asked a lot of questions, even if they sounded dumb. And uh, that's how I started. I used to carry around this little book, like a little nerd. And I would write down these phrases. Um, for instance, I would go into a shop and I was looking for jeans and a girl who works at the retail shop says something like, Hey, how are you going? And I thought, going? And I'm looking to my left and right, like, you talking to me? <laughs> I'm going into your store. Is that okay? And then I realized, oh, no, that just means, how are you doing? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> You're not in trouble. <laughs> um, just getting used to what people mean, because a lot of times Aussies shorten everything. They'll say Arvo, which means afternoon. I know it doesn't huh. make any sense. Or one day we were leaving the house to go to a restaurant and our housemate says, go grab your thongs. And I'm like, why is everyone talking about their thongs? I didn't realize thongs meant flip flops, not like your <laughs> underwear. <laughs> um, I think language barrier, cultural barrier, uh, just learning how to navigate, you know, public transport and finding the right resources so I think research and asking lots of questions helped. Um, and of course, obviously missing the familiarity of your friends and family. So, you know, Skype was really big back then. FaceTime was just only beginning to start to take foot, you know, in our comms and using it every day. But I'd say Instagram, Facebook, that really helped keep me stay like more connected to people back home. Yeah, and it's interesting that even though you moved to another English speaking country that it's still a completely different culture even english language is not the same so it's that's a big like you wouldn't you would think oh it's it's easy but it's there's still cultural challenges that you have to overcome for sure absolutely i wasn't prepared for all the difference in the two countries but there's so many and i'm still finding a lot to this day that sounds like it could be fun, though, to continue to discover things. 
Yes, absolutely. It's never boring. I do still have that mentality. I wake up, I'm like, oh, I'm so lucky to be here. I'm still on holiday mode, even though I've been working here, living here for almost 10 years. Wow. It does yeah. feel very tropical. And where we live too, we have a lot of greenery and lots. You can't get over the birds. Oh my God, Kristen, the birds are so loud here. <laughs> like, Are they big? Is that why they're loud? Not really, they can be small and they have the most powerful lungs I wow. just are you know some of it's really beautiful and melodic and some are just really bold obnoxious <laughs> really <wake> <laughs> yeah. you do get used to it after a while and I think the longer you've lived here you start to not notice you know yeah their sounds <laughs> and then so what are some of the best things about being an expat well, you kind of brushed on that, the sense that, that you can always explore. There's always something new. There's always new people arriving. It's a big metropolitan hub here. And you're, you know, constantly, because you're in the mentality, you're in a growth mentality when you're living overseas, because you're always learning, asking questions, being put in the unknown. Everything is uncharted territory. So as soon as you get comfortable with one stage of your life, it's like something else comes in, much like back home. It's just now everything is in a new environment. So you're always on your toes. And I think that's really exciting. You feel like you're constantly in travel mode and in exploration mode. Everything's new. It's delightful. You have this gypsy kind of wanderer mindset. And uh, yeah, I think it's wonderful to, to be in a new place. And even after 10 years, it doesn't get old. Yeah. And I know that you are very, um, you have a very growth mindset. So I'm sure it's just really great to sort of be in that constant, you know, learning um, exploration. Yes, definitely. And then, um, so how's COVID affected your life this past year? I feel like Australia has done a pretty good job of handling the situation, but has it affected daily life or tourism where you're at? I think as a whole, Australia has always looked to its government as a source of solution, not the cause of problems. And even if we don't always agree with what the government insists on, I like how the Australian government quickly shut down its borders and decided that we would put a swift lockdown in areas that we needed to and really get the manpower that's needed for tracing and testing uh, and I believe that's why our state, where I live in uh, Queensland, had, did such a great job. Our government leader, Anastasia Palaszczuk, she she put down, you know, she, she closed down the borders to all the neighboring states. So already people within Australia couldn't move from one state to the next, which at first was, you know, such a big obstacle because a lot of people obviously have their partners and families, you know, some people couldn't see their sick relatives or go and see, you know, uh, the birth of their baby. However, mm -hmm. I think in retrospect, looking at how things panned out in the year 2020, we were able to minimize a lot of deaths and, you know, really, really be able to um, stop the spread of a lot of these infections. Um, our neighboring states weren't as lucky. Uh, you might've read in the news, Melbourne, which is in the state of Victoria, had a second wave of infection and had 112 days of extreme strict lockdown where you couldn't you know, exercise further than so many kilometers of your house. 
you know, wow. all, the street, all the schools, the shops, everything was shut down. You could only get things online delivered to your house. Obviously, everyone had to wear masks. Um, there were police everywhere enforcing these rules. Um, and you were given, you know, big fines if you're caught. People were ridiculous getting caught, you know, driving up and down the coast of the state to get a hamburger. She's <laughs> <Wow. laughs> read these crazy things. And um, same in New South Wales and Sydney, you would see, you know, 200 party goers on the beach. And, you know, you know that obviously that was against the rules. Um, but for the most part, Australia did a great job. I think, you know, of course, there's different political parties, but I think they all banded together and decided to put their differences down and look out for the health and safety and well-being of all their citizens, no matter who they were. And looking also at our neighboring, you know, neighbors over in New Zealand, they did such a fantastic example. I think that led us, I think that helped us have more confidence in being able to, you know, enforce these rules. And then everybody, for the most part, I'd say 90% of people walking around would be, you know, wearing a mask and making sure that they were doing the right thing, not just for themselves, but to protect others. And I love that common, they call it mateship here in Australia. We're looking out for each other. And I think that's a really strong uh, sense of community and looking out for one another. I, I love that. Yeah, that's fantastic. And a lot different than in the States. Um, yeah. We've handled it quite a bit differently. But I've noticed on your um, Instagram post that, you know, it doesn't seem like, well, at least specifically where you are, that it had hit that much, like life looked pretty normal, except for like masks. Um, but it seemed mm -hmm. like people could still live about their day and mostly normally and like that's such a blessing because you know not a lot of people were able to do that but you know if you kind of take those measures in the first place to protect each other then that lets you to continue sort of that normality and I think as we've seen here when we when we don't do those things then that's when things just shut down and mm -hmm. you know they become very um, well not ideal Yes, no, I agree. And um, yes, you're right. Um, compared to everyone else in Australia, Brisbane itself and the state of Queensland were very lucky. And that's because things were, I guess, prevented from getting worse early, early on, early 2020. And okay. we only had a sanctioned six week lockdown um, compared to everyone else. And we were able to lift that and then carry on as normal. So some businesses that were, you know, worried about, you know, carrying on with their, their day to day, they, we all had a sigh of relief. And then the government also introduced a lot of help. We had a program called Job Seeker to help people look for new jobs. Um, some government help in a program called Job Keeper, and that helped a lot of individuals and businesses to be able to continue to pay pay their employees, even if they weren't able to continue, you know, as they used to. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that. Um, that really helped, especially because our, once our borders were shut, I noticed um, the economy had, you know, their tourism, their education, all those departments suffered because. Uh, we're so close to China, and that's our major source of revenue sometimes coming in with the export of, um, you know, tourists and international students. And so even though a lot of international students were, were stuck here in Australia itself, a lot of people were over in uh, China for holidays and couldn't come back into Australia. So 
But uh, yeah, we, we did for the most part have a, we are still having a normal lifestyle. Uh, we had one active case recently over a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Um, our government here in the state asked us to lock down and we stayed indoors. And if we had to go get groceries we, and, or exercise, we had to wear a mask in all public areas. And that wasn't meant to stop the spread, but basically just to kind of slow things down so that the government had time to react and plan out how big is this UK strain going to happen. And that was just from one active case, <laughs> but you know what, it worked. And now we're back to being normal and not having to wear a mask. Yeah, not getting to that point of mm. everything shut down. Yeah, yes. yes, that's great. So can you share a few lessons that you've learned from living abroad? Um, maybe what are some major cultural differences or similarities? I know you touched on a few of the language things, but uh, maybe there are some other other things. Well, for one, I think it's you have to surrender to the unknown just with any new change. I think living abroad really helped me learn that in life, you just can't count on anything happen, happening, no matter how well prepared you are, how well you've researched and planned something. So if you're a type A kind of over planner, I'm sorry, but if you want to live abroad, you have to give some of that up. <laughs> and I think once you don't have any expectation, really great things do come, you know, and you're, you're open and you're flexible to things changing and and I think that's with any 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 challenge or new new change that you're trying to bring into your life. And you you know you you have this mentality either you switch you sink or you swim, and it's survival mode. You're here by yourself. You don't have your friends and family to support you or to back you up. You have to make new friends or you have no friends, and you have to go out there and look for a job and become part of the community. And the great thing about Australia is people are so warm. They're so friendly and welcoming. I found that especially in Brisbane, people would actually walk you if you were lost and direct you personally to something rather than just kind of pointing here and there and giving you sketchy directions. Um, maybe it helps because I'm a female looking lost, but to be honest, I've spoken to a lot of males who have come here from other countries and they do agree that Brisbane compared to a lot of the other capital cities as well is super, super friendly and welcoming. And as we all know, as you get older and you're not in school anymore, it's hard to make friends. But I found coming here as an expat, you do easily make new friends and get invited to social functions. And that first couple of years was very crucial. And I said yes to everyone and everything, even if there were people who I personally didn't think I would make friends with back at home. I just thought, look, Michelle, you have nothing to lose. You got you got to put yourself out there and get out of the house. Otherwise, you're constant, constantly missing where you'd rather be, which is sometimes back to your original home country. So it's good to one, get yourself out there so you don't wallow in despair and misery and miss your comforts, but also don't miss out on opportunities that can come unexpectedly. It sounds like that experience too must be very empowering. Very said you're sink or swim. So you're the only person that you, you can only rely on yourself. So it's really up to you and to be able to build the community and just do it, just live a life must, must be really empowering. I'm sure. Absolutely. It, it's a word that I would definitely use to describe being an expat empowerment, fresh start, accomplishment, freedom, new everything. And that helps you not take anything for granted. 
we talked about saying yes to everything. Are there other ways that you would encourage people if they move abroad, like ways that they can build community? Absolutely. There's some really great groups on Facebook. I joined a Facebook group called Americans in Australia, and they have a lot of um, meetups. Oh, and that's cool. Yeah, it's fantastic. There's so many people there all throughout the country, and then people are really quick to ask questions and answer questions there. So I've seen a lot of people who are even just researching coming to Australia, asking their questions there. And, they're, you know, people are always so open and helpful, and they'll give their honest you know, feedback and um, advice. Um, also, researching a really good immigration and migration agent, especially in the beginning, is so crucial. I wouldn't just go with anyone. I would ask around for people who had personal good experience and because there's a lot of people out there who just want to take your money and give you really horrible advice. So that role is someone who helps you sort of navigate the immigration process? Exactly. So they know all the legalities and they're responsible for making sure they present you with the best options and so you can make an informed decision. But obviously you ha it's, on you it's your onus to look up and research all the recent updates because some not every migration agent is the same. And so you want to make sure that you're getting the best information and double check what they're providing you. And then they do navigate and help you, you know, and, and, and with the paperwork, because sometimes it does get really confusing. But I, for myself, I found that I could take over and start doing my own applications myself. And uh, as long as you have the patience and the know-how, uh, you could sit down and do it yourself. And then it sounds like you were pretty successful doing it yourself. You were recently became an Australian citizen. Yes, yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's it's pretty surreal. I never thought that I would get to this point. It's you know, a lot of people just stay at the permanent residency, which is equivalent to a green card in the US, mm -hmm. where you can live permanently, but you do here in Australia have to renew your permanent residency every five years. And that's not something I wanted to do. And we're lucky at being an American citizen, you can still have dual citizenship and not give up your American citizenship. So I, I decided, look, that's the, if I could do, if I could get to citizenship, that would be my final goal. So after some paperwork, it honestly compared to getting to the permanent residency is a walk in the park. Permanent residency is extremely difficult to get to and a lot of paperwork and a lot of money, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, it's so exciting. Has living abroad taught you anything about identity? Yes, I think identity really changed and evolved for me. Uh, from the instant I moved here, I felt that I had one foot in Australia, one foot back in the U.S. And every time I would visit, I didn't know what home meant. And I think the concept of home it has been so fluid over the years. And now I, I know that it means more than one thing, more than one place. It could mean I feel at home with certain like-minded people and people who are also citizens of the world. I mean, you can be Vietnamese, American and Australian all at the same time. We don't have to box ourselves in. And I feel that it's such a blessing to reinvent yourself. And you can do that even at home, not living abroad. And it really is, it comes down to mindset and how open you are to accepting change and taking the best bits of your life experience and the people that you come across so that you can introduce that into your everyday. Do you think being open and flexible is one of the things that's helped you to successfully make that transition? 
Yes, absolutely. I think those are two traits that you, if you don't naturally have to work on having <laughs> so that you would be successful in living abroad or even just to travel better and really soak up all the goodness that life can bring. And I think, you know, the more obviously positive you are and open you are and, you know, not someone who's not quick to prejudge and just, and just allow good things and good people to come into your life, the more that will happen. When I lived, you know, up and down the coast of San Francisco, I think uh, that was a little bit of a stepping stone, you know, moving from one place to the next, starting new schools, meeting new friends. I was constantly challenging myself basically to, uh, to really stretch and, and welcome in the, the new. Yeah, I think when you are constantly pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone, at some point it does really become easier because you're, you've kind of proven to yourself that, oh, okay, I've done this before. It's that familiarity where it's like, oh, okay, I know how to do this new thing and that I'll be okay after I've, you know, pushed myself. Not to say that there were many, many days where I would wake up and I would wonder, you know, what am I doing in this new country or new city? Because you do question your decisions and you wonder, what have I left behind? Was it better than what I have now? And what's what's in store for me? Am I just going to become a failure? You know, that the, all the fears come back. Am I going to be rejected? Am I taking the wrong path? But I think that's all part of growth. And, you know, as long as you put one step in front of the other and take ownership of your decisions, no matter if it turns out good or bad, it's, it's still a decision that you've made to honor your, your values. And I think as you grow older, hopefully wiser, that you know that, you know, the things that make you joyful, um, that you do more of and, 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 and surround yourself with more of that. And speaking of joyful, so you were in Australia and you met a guy. <laughs> yes, I'm so glad. I was so close to moving back home after I broke up with my ex because I had planned, you know, our whole life. And I thought I was going to marry this man who I moved all across the world for. Right. I'd given up so much for. But then life, you know, takes another unexpected turn. I don't know if it was pride or just stubbornness. I decided to stay in Australia and really put my foot down so I can create some roots. And I'm glad I did because the friends that I made, they're amazing. 10 years ago, we're still friends and we've grown from single party girls to family women with kids and careers and, you know, all of that. It's, it's really cool. And, uh, yeah, just randomly, I was in a bar here in Brisbane, and it's an American music hall of all places, <laughs> and they were playing Johnny Cash. It was a big band with the cello and the guitar and the keys, and I was actually there to kind of babysit a guy friend who was visiting from Darwin. While he was trying to pick up these girls at the bar, I was looking over the balcony, and I was over it. I didn't want to date anyone. I thought I was going to be single with you know, cats all my life. <laughs> and I look over, I look over and watch the music and kind of just swaying to the music. And I look over and then some man comes up, he's tall, he's handsome, he's confident, he's got a bit of a swagger. And I remember he looked like a cowboy because he had these cowboy boots and like this belt. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting. I just felt this instant connection. And, you know, he said he did too. And we just started talking 
And he asked if I wanted to dance and he you know, straight away said, oh, where are you from? Your accent. <laughs> I'm like, where are you from? Your accent. <laughs> and it's funny because we ended up marrying, obviously, and he has two beautiful boys uh, who are my stepsons. And, you know, I was launched into a role of not just wife, but stepmother. And, you know, I'm just lucky that it's just uh, they're all really beautiful people. And that that has really helped. And the kids have a mom who is very understanding and we hang out and she's got a partner who's really cool as well. And, you know, it really takes a village. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm just glad I said yes. And I stayed here for whatever reason that was pulling me to stay here instead of coming home to my comforts. Yeah. Because <laughs> I miss my mom, my friends, my sister, you know, all of that. Uh, you just never know what happens. So here I am. So pre-pandemic, um, how often would you visit home? Well, I was lucky enough to have my parents come every year or I would come over there. Trenton and I have taken the kids multiple times. So sometimes every six months, sometimes every 12 months, we were quite lucky um, that my parents are still quite mobile. My mom and my stepdad are able to pick up and go whenever. Mm -hmm. My stepdad is semi-retired. Well, I think he's retired now. And my mom, she has seniority at the hospital, so she can kind of just take vacation whenever she wants. So we, we have been able to meet not just in Australia, but also, you know, in parts of Asia and Europe itself, which is really cool because then we can all discover something new together. But it's been great bringing the two families together. You know, my Aussie family has met my family. My family has come out here for my engagement party, my wedding in Byron Bay and all those important milestones. So, you know, the pandemic has been hard on us because it's been a long time, over a year that we've seen each other and I'm really feeling it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm hoping that, you know, with the vaccinations and everything that that will open up the possibilities for us to see, see people again. Uh, as terms of your travel, you know, when your home base is California, say, um, you know, you're, you're, Hawaii is a big place to go or Canada or Mexico. What are the places that most Australians vacation to in that corner of the world? Hmm, I would say New Zealand for one, Bali, Vietnam, you know, anywhere in Asia. Uh, Bali is about okay. six hours away, which isn't very you know, five or six hours. So nice. And, you know, I think Bali gets a really bad reputation because a lot of backpackers go and party and go to these places that aren't the classiest and get into a lot of trouble. But lucky for me and my friends, we went and met a girlfriend of ours who is actually from there. And so she's a local, but she also lived in Australia. So she straddles, you know, both cultures really well and was able to introduce us to her local spots that we wouldn't have otherwise went to. And they're all really nice, classy bars and nightclubs and restaurants and kind of was able to recommend certain areas that we would feel safe staying in. We booked all these Airbnbs. I liked it so much that I went a second time with my family. I had my mom and my stepdad meet us. They flew in from the States. Uh, because it was my mom's 60th birthday. So we were able to hop around different islands in Bali and just have a really wonderful experience. Yes. So I'd say Bali and New Zealand. I'm ashamed to say I haven't been to New Zealand and it's only three hours away from here. I know. Michelle, I know. what is happening? <laughs> I've been to New Zealand and it's hours from... <laughs> it's kind of you'll like get there, you'll get there. <laughs> but do you agree, Kristen? Like when you have something in your backyard, like 
I didn't ride a cable car in San Francisco my entire life. Like those kind of things you feel like, oh, they're there all the time. It's like having a swimming pool or, you know, you just don't really, you take it for granted. Oh, I 100% agree with you. I have not been to the Grand Canyon. I have not been to Yellowstone. Like, you know, these very beautiful places. I mean, we're lucky in California. We have like Yosemite and like Tahoe. Like we have a lot of things to see, but there are some really beautiful places that really aren't that far from me that I haven't been to yet because like you said, it's in my backyard. So I no judgment. I totally get it. <laughs> but they're not New Zealand though. <laughs> I know, I know. Even the kids have gone multiple times. <laughs> You'll get there. I'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd like to um, ask all my guests one one final question. And it's it's if you could share with me a travel experience that really brought you joy. Sure. I'd like to share two. One that's outside of Australia and then one that's in Australia. First, the one in Australia that's brought me a lot of joy would be the Whitsundays. It's part of the Great Barrier Reef, which is north okay. um, on the eastern seaboard of Australia. It's just beautiful white sandy beaches. You can hop from island to island. You can go on catamarans or sailing. You, you don't necessarily have to scuba dive to see lots of fish and beautiful underworld like animals and coral. You can only just go on one of these chartered boats and they'll take you out an hour, hour and a half into the water. And it's just stunning. And all you need is a snorkel and some, you know, some fins, but extraordinary. And tourism here is so great. So the service that you're going to get is, is awesome. Um, the food, the seafood, the wine, oh, just love it. I mean, all over Australia, it's fantastic. You couldn't, it's hard to pinpoint one place, but I say the Sundays, which is, you know, up, up in that area where the Great Barrier Reef is, is one of those beautiful places that just make you go, oh, wow, you know? Um, like a lucky to be alive kind of place. Yes, it's like straight out of the movies and so pristine and beautiful. And second would be a very spontaneous trip that was part of our honeymoon, we had spent some time going from Dubai to Croatia, then to Rome, Naples, and then Amalfi Coast, Positano. And we had a few days where I told my husband, let's just leave it to chance. So he's like, yeah, sure, cool. Great, great travel partner, not a control freak. (laughs) So, you know, I was Googling this island, I might be pronouncing it wrong, it could be Ischia or Ischia versus Capri. You know, one was obviously really well-known Capri and then the other one that I can't pronounce. Anyways, Trent, my husband, looked at the photos and the reviews. He's like, let's go to Capri. I was like, okay, let's do it. So we booked something to spur the moment. We went on to the boat and decided to come, come out there. And of course, there were a lot of tourists, but we had read in the reviews, as soon as sun comes down, all the day tourists go back to the mainland and you have the whole island to yourself. And it's wow. not disappoint. Like, have you been to Capri? I haven't. No. Oh my god. I would love to go. It is out of this world. It has one of those rare aspects that you feel this sparkly, magnetic, sort of spiritual 
happiness. Like there's something really soulful about this place. And Capri has all of that, you know, the sparkling blue and green waters. It's all so clear. The, you know, the mountains and the craggy like outline of the island. And then if you walk around and you see where the locals live, you know, up these hills all around the island, you could smell lemon and olives and all very Mediterranean. You know, everything is so lush and fertile because of the volcanic soil. And it's just an explosion of colors. There's all these different apothecaries with like scents of, you know, flowers. I, I got suckered into buying a perfume there. <laughs> it's just, it's just <laughs> beautiful and it's romantic. I mean, whether you go with friends by yourself or with a partner, I think Island of Capri is everything you could imagine. Um, but you definitely want to spend a few nights there because okay. that's when the magic happens. <laughs> yeah, it just sounds so magical. And it sounds like you get a lot from all your senses, which probably makes it such a memorable experience. Yes, there's some beautiful villas that the public can go and tour. And it's something out of, I don't know, an Italian great Gatsby and the stories of the parties they would have there and the different counts that would own it, you know? It's it's gorgeous. There's actually, and it's funny because recently I read a book by Kevin Kwan and it it's in the location of Island of Capri and the way that he wrote about it is, is, is spectacular. Like it really does capture that magic. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm going to have to get that. Actually, it's... Send me the title and we'll include it in the show notes so people yes. can get a taste of Capri, which I'm, I know we're all wanting a taste of somewhere different right now. <laughs> yes. So it's summertime where you're at. Yes, it's in the middle of summer. Uh, we have another month or two of this heat and lots of swimming. We're always at the beach or swimming, you know, wherever we can. We, we, we have a hundred acre property 40 minutes west of here where it's it's mostly bushland but we have access to our neighbors who have access to the river where we can swim and there's banks of beautiful green grass and it's very country i never expected that we would live a life you know in the suburbs but also out in the country but that i love that especially all year round we can go there and enjoy you know the different animals and just being able to be outdoors and being out in the bush and swimming Nice. Yeah. It sounds like it's a nice, peaceful getaway. Yes. And um, yeah, I enjoy, I always enjoy seeing your posts because when we're in the middle of winter here and I see your like fun, sunny, sunshiny posts, it just kind of lifts my spirits. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> I remember what summer was like. Not that our winters are that bad here, but you know, it's like <laughs> when you see people wearing like cute dresses and like just enjoying the beach, it's, it's nice to have that like reverse, you know, reality then. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's like a parallel universe sometimes and when when you guys have your Christmas that's when I get a bit sad and nostalgic because I see everyone rugged up in their warm coats and drinking their Starbucks and well actually it starts in October I really miss home then because it's all you know pumpkin spice lattes that's not a thing here you have to like buy an expensive <laughs> packet that you know sent in the mail to get anything even close actually that's a good business idea I can look into that <laughs> there you go you could you could pitch it to all the people in your um, Facebook group yes actually <laughs> that's a great idea thanks Kristen <laughs> there you go done and done <laughs> because like think around October you know that's when the festivity starts in the states like you have you have your Halloween and it leads into Thanksgiving and to Christmas and obviously in Australia we don't have I mean Halloween's only taken 
into popularity the past few years, uh, okay. which has been slow because they used to think, oh, if only the Americans do it. But now everyone's into it, which is really funny. I'm like, ha, <laughs> now. They realized how fun it is. Exactly. The kids <laughs> love it, you know? And, uh, but yes, Thanksgiving is still not a huge thing. But lucky for us, we have some friends here who uh, invited us to a big shindig just recently. And now hopefully if we're in their good graces, we'll continue to be <laughs> invited for years to come, but everyone comes and, you know, it was the first time in years. I actually personally haven't celebrated Thanksgiving because the kids in Trent at home, it's so hot during the month of November mm. that we don't want to go to that effort, just the four of us um, to make a turkey and all that. But I love, like you said, because it's so cold back where you guys are, I love seeing the photos and the videos and seeing the pumpkins and all the wreaths coming out and, you know, the cold. I miss that. Yeah, I see your posts during our Chris, our winter and like Christmas and I'm like, how, like that must be very strange coming from where we come from to have hot Christmases and. <laughs> <laughs> it is the strangest thing. And I, not that I hate it, but I just don't, it doesn't feel the same. So for a lot of us from the Northern hemisphere, whether we're from America, Canada, Europe, I know that a lot of us have taken on the Christmas in July because that's when it's cold here. And for a while we've been hosting uh, some Christmas in July campouts at our land. We didn't this year oh, or last fun. year, but yeah, it is fun because then we can actually, you know, wear our ugly Christmas sweaters. <laughs> and make yeah, you've got to do it. I mean, it might not be the same time of year, but it's the same essence of the feeling of everything that you can bring to the, the season. So exactly. We have to get creative. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your experiences. Um, you know, taking that huge, I think, courageous leap to just start a new life in a completely new culture and country. And um, I feel like I've learned a lot about what that experience is, is like and yeah, how to navigate it. So it's, it's been a really good conversation. Well, thank you so much for having me, Kristen. Thanks for listening to the Explore a New podcast. Don't worry, we have a new episode every week. Subscribe so you don't miss it. And don't forget to visit explorerandyou.com for more inspiration and tips. If you want to share the love, you're welcome to send this podcast to others. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.